Shut up and sit down. Listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast bringing you this sports show. Well, the NBA Finals are finally over, which means we can finally switch our focus to the big three. We'll get into that and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 71 of The Bridge. Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to another installment of The Bridge, coming to you live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, to bring you the best and brightest of the sports world. That's right, The Bridge is live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, though this show is technically pre-recorded. If you do miss the live show, the podcast version of The Bridge is available 48 hours after the initial broadcast, which means you can find the newest episode on iTunes under The Bridge Sports Podcast or on my website at londonbridge.com on Friday nights. I'll save all the ways you can listen to The Bridge and where you can find the show until the end of this latest installment. If anything, you can call in or text in to the show 24-7, 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Contact the show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. All right, let's get into the fun stuff. Give me the siren. We're going to start off the show a little differently this week with a couple of flashbacks. Up first, Draymond Green helped lead the Golden State Warriors to their second championship in three years with little to no drama this time around like there was last year. Aside from kicking some players in the no-no place, Draymond also had a snafu with Snapchat shortly thereafter in the summer of 2016. It's time for the number one news anchor parody segment in sports radio. Here's this week's edition of Sports News Red Like Real News. Golden State Warriors power forward and current U.S. Olympian Draymond Green continued his series of unfortunate events with male reproductive organs over the weekend. After ending up in hot water for hitting Oklahoma City Thunder center Steven Adams in the no-no place, not once, but twice, in the Western Conference Finals, Green then suffered a one-game suspension for Game 5 in the NBA Finals when he whacked off LeBron James. Now, Green has made the switch from touching others to touching himself. The 26-year-old accidentally posted a picture of his trouser snake to his Snapchat My Story, which made the image public instead of being sent to the person or persons meant to receive the pecker picture. 
Green eventually realized his boner and deleted the image about 10 minutes later, but the image of his Johnson quickly spread through the gallows of the internet. He claimed the picture of his one-eyed monster was leaked because his account was hacked, but later apologized that the picture of his privates was meant to be private. However, this could possibly be a positive omen for the Warriors. The mascot Lil Kev helped the Cavs win the finals. Perhaps Draymond's Sergeant Stiffy could help lead Golden State to the title in 2017 and prevent them from blowing their load for the second year in a row. I'm John Lund, and that was Sports News Red Like Real News. Let's take a quick break to check out our Snapchat streaks. When we come back, we'll flash back to last year's NBA Finals before talking to an NBA writer about this year's and the debut of the Big Three League. We'll be right back on the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. As you heard earlier in the show, you can call in or text in to the bridge at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Leave a voicemail or text your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. Now, we do like to pose a question each show to help give you the urge to call in or text in to The Bridge. This week, we want to know who would make up your best big three and why. To no surprise, the Golden State Warriors handled their business to beat the Cleveland Cavaliers in the NBA Finals to avenge last year's blown 3-1 loss. How far we've come from 2016 when the talk surrounded the legacy of LeBron James, what the Warriors would have to do to win in the following year. We spoke with NBA writer Josh Eberly about all of that in episode 30 of The Bridge back in late June of 2016, which you can find on my website or on iTunes as well. Josh will have a subject of conversation later in the show, but here we'll take a look back to hear Josh chat about LeBron James, a blown 3-1 lead, and a prediction of what might happen if the Warriors were able to sign Kevin Durant. It's time for the return of Run It Back, Same Teams. All I know is, you mess with me, you got problems. That's all I know. Oh, I'll show you. I'll show you. Just make sure you got a good view. Get some popcorn. Maybe some jujubes. A slushy. Snow caps, perhaps. Maybe some snow caps. I don't know. You're going to want to be comfortable today. Watch the show. Watch the show. How impressive of a performance was this from LeBron James in these finals with what he was able to do and basically carry that team to the NBA championship. Now, I've seen every game Jordan has played in the finals, except for his first two championships. I think I've only seen a couple games. This is the best that I've seen ever. But granted, I didn't get to see that Jordan one's live. We didn't have Twitter. I mean, it was different. Right. Shaq, LeBron, Jordan. I mean, those would be my three top finals performers ever. I think what Shaq did early on with the Lakers, he just had some monster stat lines, like 38 points, 13 rebounds, stuff like that. Just nuts. But, other than other than really early Lakers Shaq, we haven't had anything of this magnitude. And then when you consider that LeBron, over the last three especially, I mean, I don't know if it, it strengthens it or weakens it, but 
when the when the Cavs butts were on the fire, LeBron just turned into a Super Saiyan, some sort of beast mode we've never really seen before from him or really anyone. I mean, but his numbers over those last three games were just astounding. Now, it was funny. There's been some discussion that perhaps Kyrie Irving should have been named MVP for what he was able to do, especially after having to miss last year's finals. Do you give any truth to that at all, that he should have got the MVP award of the finals over LeBron James? John, the lengths that people will go to to demean the name of LeBron James is insane <laughs> to me. It's insane. And that's, I, I don't want to take anything away from Kyrie Irving. He was fantastic. And, I, you know, I'm sure if he broke down the finals with Coach Nick last week, he did talk about some of the X's and O's. But what Kyrie did coming off the dribble and taking some of that scoring load off LeBron and creating his own offense, it was, it was phenomenal. It was wonderful. It was what they needed from a second option. But, I mean, LeBron averaged 36 points, 12 rebounds, and 10 assists over the last three games of the series. He had, I think, three blocks and three steals in the last three games. He had a force at both ends. Anyone who's saying that just doesn't like LeBron James – or maybe they like LeBron James, but they love Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant. They're trying to protect somebody else's legacy because that's just that's just so backwards to me. Before we look big picture, I wanted to touch on the Warriors a bit. They blew out the Cavs in the first two games. They stole one in Cleveland, but as you mentioned, that Game 5 scenario where they don't have Draymond Green, Bogut ends up getting hurt in that game and misses the remainder of the finals. The luck seemed to run out for this team. What did you see from them, specifically in the last three games, that was much different from the Warriors team that we saw all season? You know, there's so much that happened in the last three games, especially, obviously, Game 4, Draymond gets tied up with LeBron. Uh, the Warriors were were ahead of themselves. I think this whole series, maybe even this whole postseason, I, Curry went down. They smashed the uh, the Rockets. They didn't have any problems with the Trailblazers. Curry came back. It's phenomenal games against Portland. Some great games against Oklahoma. And they're coming. Back. They just they always had this incredible air of confidence, which I don't think is a bad thing. Which I, I, a lot of people cr- criticize the Warriors for. But I mean, they were coming off a championship. They won the most games in regular season history. If a team can't be confident about themselves. If that team can't be confident about themselves, who can? Right. So then we get to the finals, and I think it was after game two, Clay says, you know, they're better than the Showtime Lakers. They're still playing in the finals. And it was a joke. I'm not trying to take this out of context, but they were getting a little ahead of themselves. And then, you know, Draymond Green gets the suspension. And, oh, you know, if I was playing, I'm sure we would have won, but we'll take care of business in the next one. And it just, they seem to lose themselves in the idea of being the greatest team ever before they got there. And I think there's, there were some legit concerns that maybe Steph Curry wasn't quite healthy. He was burned out, whatever. Maybe, maybe not. But at the end of the day, this team kind of defeated themselves in the sense that they, they thought they'd crossed the finish line before they had. So that 73-win record-breaking regular season followed up a 67-win regular season from last year and, of course, that NBA championship. Do you think not winning the finals this year takes anything away from what they were able to do in that regular season and puts an asterisk near the 73 wins like a lot of people are discussing about? Not at all for me. I actually wrote something about this on Hoopmate. I think the Warriors should hold their heads high. I don't think there's any reason to be down on Golden State whatsoever. Um, There's this perception with social media, especially like we bash LeBron unfairly, we bash Kobe unfairly, so now we have to bash Curry unfairly. And it's, it's kind of redundant. I mean, how many Twitter whippings does somebody need before we say okay well they still won the most games in history and their core is still under 28 years old and 
they have a ton of money in free agency. You might sign another superstar. And, you know, they did win X amount of games over the last two years. Forgive my terrible math on the spot. But it's just, it's silly, right? I mean, why, why are we punishing these guys? They did some amazing things. They didn't win the finals. Absolutely criticized them on losing the finals. They didn't win a 3-1 series, but or take care of a 3-1 series, but they also came back from a 3-1 series. There's just a lot of positives that people don't like to acknowledge in the moment. And when we look back and we look at the point differential and we look at all these teams the Warriors beat, we look at how they still progress to the finals in their journey with Curry being hurt and missing time. I think there's a lot of positives here. And like I said, their window's not closed. Like I like the idea of a window for a title team or for, for a potential dynasty. And this window is still so very wide open. When it comes to the Warriors, what do you think they might need to do in this offseason to really give them a solid chance of continuing this success and potentially getting back to the NBA Finals again for a third straight year next season? See, the honest truth, which nobody really wants to admit, is they don't have to do any. I mean, they really don't. They could. Uh, Harrison Barnes is a restricted free agent. He played terribly in the Finals, but he's young. They could just match any offer that he gets, sit on the team that they have, and there's a good chance they'd be back next year. I mean, this team won 73 and 67 games back-to-back, went to the finals twice. There, there's no real reason to believe that they're going to regress all of a sudden or that the Cavaliers zoink their brains so hard that they can't possibly fathom, you know, going through the playoffs. And there's no real reason to believe that. I mean, in a perfect situation, they land Kevin Durant. Uh, bad, bad things would happen for the NBA if they landed Kevin Durant. I mean, I can't even imagine Harrison Barnes shot 17%, I think, over the last three games of the finals. You put in Kevin Durant in there. He creates offense from the offensive stall. He gets those open shots in the corner. My goodness. I mean, they would just be disgusting. But they don't even have to go that far. I think they could upgrade in a lot of ways. I mean, they could grab a Bismack Biombo and let Festus go, and they get better defensively. They could grab uh, Nicholas Batum or Chandler Parsons over Harrison Barnes, and they get better at both ends. They're just as long. They either get more playmaking or higher efficiency scoring. I mean, there's a lot of ways that this Warriors team could improve, and the honest truth is they don't even have to do it to, to be a contender. Unlike a lot of teams, if they stay put, they're a contender. If they grab somebody else, they just add to the pile. Now we've been talking about LeBron a little bit. Four regular season MVPs, three MVPs in the NBA Finals now. His performances in Game 7s continue to impress in elimination games off the charts in the nba finals we know what he did he led all the teams in statistical categories if the Cavs had lost however that would have put him down at two and five all time in the finals but now he's three and four and here we go all that said what do you think lebron james legacy is now even if tomorrow he just decided you know what i'm gonna hang my hat and put this game behind me and move on to the next adventure in my life okay and anyone worth their salt has him in the top 10 I mean, even if you absolutely detest him, even if playing for one franchise and him leaving hurts him, even if the finals record hurts him in your estimation, he's still top 10. I mean, if you if you know absolutely anything about basketball, putting him less than top 10 is, is unacceptable. That being said, I think the people who who are okay to step back and look at this and say, look, he's 31 years old, he's won three titles, he's won four MVPs, he came out of high school with more pressure than any player in any sport ever. I mean, from the moment... You know, he was in his second or third year of high school. This guy had all the pressure on him in the world. His biggest knock throughout his career is, hey, you're not Michael Jordan. 
I mean, what could he have done differently if you're looking at his career? What more could he have accomplished? Right. He's been the underdog in every NBA Finals he's ever played in, except for twice, but seven times. I mean, he still has three rings. He's just turned out, you know, spectacular year after spectacular year. Uh, Michael Jordan played till he's 39 years old. Reminder, LeBron is 31. I mean, there's still so much room for him to do so many more things. For myself personally, I think he's top five. You know, you, you can slice it every way you want. And I know some people want to value rings over everything, which is silly. But then I guess you got to make a spot for Bill Russell. But, but top five feels safe to me. Making his triumphant return to the bridge to talk about this year's NBA Finals is Diamond Uproxx writer Oliver Maroney, who last dropped by in episode 55, right before the NBA All-Star break. Oliver and Josh Eberly have teamed up as the hosts of the new Big Three show, which kicked off with Ricky Davis as the first guest and will offer new episodes every Friday morning. You can find that podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud and over on Big3.com as well. And also read about how the Big Three got started in his latest piece for Dime. We'll chat more about the Big Three and what his new show will entail and the future of it later in the interview after we discuss the NBA Finals, the Kevin Durant legacy, the LeBron James legacy, and the future of the league as well. You can find Oliver on Twitter. He's at NBA. That's O-M-A-R-O-N-E-Y-N-B-A. And without further ado, let's get into that interview. We're here with Oliver Maroney. He's a writer for Dime on Uproxx and friend of the show. Oliver, thanks for coming back on. How you been? Not bad, not bad. Just uh, on the grind. Just doing the same old thing. <laughs> on the grind. Plenty to talk about when it comes to hoops and what you've been up to since we last spoke before the All-Star break. Mentioning how much better this year's Warriors team was when we spoke, and I think they've proven that. To get started, I have to give you credit right off the bat. You did pick Golden State in five and had Kevin Durant as the MVP. What was able to happen to make that prediction come true? Uh, I just think Cleveland's supporting cast wasn't there for all four quarters, three games that were played. And I think that was really the difference maker. Tristan Thompson, Shumper, J.R. Smith, I mean, through the first two games or so, looked just atrocious, unfortunately. And that, that really set the tone for the series. I, I think if Cleveland could have snapped or, or, or gotten out to a good lead, in one of those first two games, I think we'd be looking at this series as a seven-game series potentially, but they just weren't able to capitalize on it. And once the Golden State Warriors were up, you know, 3-0, I just think that there was no way in heck that uh, Cleveland was going to be able to claw their way back. We'll get to a little bit of disappointment on the Cleveland side, but to start on the Warriors side and with Kevin Durant, that man was really on a mission during these finals. Certainly a well-deserved MVP. Pretty much checked off all the boxes when it came to what the media and the critics and the fans said once he made the move to Golden State, as in, you better win now, you better do this, you better do that. He did everything and even more than he thought he would do. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on what he was able to do in these finals, really putting up some historic numbers in the process. I think it's incredible. I actually think that it's probably a bigger feat than what people are making it out to be because 
he probably had the most pressure of any player in a final that I can remember. I mean, the, the pressure was surmounted on him at the beginning of the season for this final, and it just continued to build and build and build as they got further into the playoffs. So what he was able to accomplish with all the weight on his shoulders, I granted, yes, he's playing on a great team, but he still has to show up night in and night out. And I'm sure the emotion, the tension, just everything. Uh, I can't, and I, I think I tweeted this right after the game, was I can't imagine how Kevin Durant feels. Like, I, I can't imagine the weight off of his shoulders once he wins the championship, gets the MVP, plays the way that he did. Um, I think it's it's not only a testament to his integrity as a person, integrity as a player, uh, but his will and just competitive nature, because I think people question that when he moved to the Warriors. I think all the questions were answered. And I, like I said, I think it's one of the most tremendous finals that we've ever seen from a, uh, an NBA player. You got to stand next to him at a concert. Can you let everyone know that he is indeed lying about his height and he's a lot taller than he claims to be? Yeah, I think he's about 6'9", like realistically. Something along those lines. Maybe 6'10". I, I mean, he, uh, I think he was singing. So I was at a college uh, Kelly concert. This was in high school. Like I think it was my freshman or sophomore year in high school. Um, and I was interning at a, a record label at the time, so I used to go to a lot of concerts. Uh, sure enough, I sat down and about like 15 minutes into the concert, KD, Serge Ibaka, I think it was, um, and Royal Ivy, I think, were the three players that walked in. They all just sat right next to me. And Serge Ibaka was basically the same height as Kevin Durant. The only difference between Kevin Durant and Serge Ibaka was Kevin Durant was not built like Serge Ibaka. He literally... He was a human bobblehead at the time. Like I think a lot of people, the, the criticism was there because he couldn't bench just the 185 or the general weight, I think, when he was coming into the draft. So, anyways, that's, uh, that's what I remember of Kevin Durant. He was, um, honestly, he was a really nice guy, super genuine. Um, at that time, he wasn't like the superstar he is now, but still willing to talk, willing to chat. I recall specifically, this is important at the time, he had a game the next night, I think, and I recall specifically him saying, I'm going to drop like 35 or something on the Blazers. He had that confidence in him. And it was kind of nice to hear. It was kind of nice to have the banter back and forth and just the honesty and upfront answers that he gave me when I was asking questions. Um, yeah, he was. he's a one-of-a-kind player, and I think that that, obviously showed in this final as along with after the finals with his mom and all the extra emotions that came with it. We saw what he is capable of, especially on a team that really can make players better just because of how good they were. But there was some discussion after the finals that this was the passing of the proverbial torch from LeBron James to Kevin Durant. And while I think that will eventually happen, father time will eventually catch up to the King and Kevin Durant will be a little bit younger to maybe get a couple years with that torch. I don't think it's necessarily happened yet because of what LeBron was able to do in these finals almost quietly because his team wasn't winning the games. I'm not ready to make that statement that the torch has officially been passed. It's close, but I think Kevin Durant might still have a little bit farther to go, and I was wondering if you felt the same. Yeah, I feel the same way. No doubt about it. I mean, look, they're, they're two, two entirely different players, too. Let's be real. LeBron doesn't shoot, you know, 50, 40, 90 every single season. Uh, that just doesn't happen. Uh, and what I mean by that is obviously 50% of the field, 40% of the three, and 90% of the 
free throw line, which Kevin Durant didn't do entirely this season, but he's pretty close. And LeBron is is not that shooter. Uh, he is a playmaker, and he does a lot more on, on the on the facilitation side of things than what Durant does. So they're two entirely different players. I think they're both very valuable to their teams. I think they're both very valuable to the league. But I'm not ready to say that LeBron is lesser of the two by any means or any stretch of the imagination. What LeBron did, not only, I think it honestly added to his legacy. I know people are going to say, like, oh, he lost, you know, uh, 4-1 series, you know, all, all the question marks there. But you have to look at the actual statistics, what he was able to accomplish on the court, and there really wasn't anything else he could have done. I just, I just don't know what else anybody can expect of a player. 30-10-10, a triple-double in the finals. I mean, the guy was outrageous. Uh, and, and to me, that speaks to who he is as a player. That speaks to who he is as a teammate. He wasn't walking off the court, pissed off, angry, upset. He walked off in, in, in a very good manner, in my opinion. Um, and I think there were a lot of players, if you put them in the same position, they'd act a lot differently. I just think that he's a stand-up character, stand-up guy. This is what the NBA has become, but um, he, he's an excellent player, and I do think he's still the best. Do you think Russell Westbrook watched these finals, and if he did, sat there wondering, hey, Kev, where was this, I don't know, last year? It was there last year, except the difference is, is that he was putting all of his efforts and energy into the offensive game. And I think defensively, he just wasn't the player he was because he didn't have teammates to help him out. I, I don't think there's, you know, I, I just don't think that team, uh, he didn't have to do as much. And that is a truth. And so for that reason, I think that uh, he didn't have to do any, uh, as much, sorry, with the Golden State Warriors. Uh, and for that reason, I think that he was able to utilize his energy to the best of his ability on both ends of the floor. And you finally saw the full Kevin Durant. I think people made the assumption at the beginning of the season that he would take a back seat or that these players would take a back seat. I don't think anyone took a back seat. I think it just illustrated how great this team is. It illustrated how great this core is. And I think that you could see how defined a player's success can be when they have the right pieces around them. You mentioned nobody taking a back seat. And that was seen with Steph Curry. And a lot of people thought that when Kevin Durant came over, his role might change. And I think that Steph tried to do that earlier in the season, maybe to try to get Kevin Durant involved a little bit better than he would have been if he had just done what he had done maybe last year. And as the season went on, it seemed like Steph realized that he didn't have to take a step back. They could equally play as superstars, as good as how they are. And we saw that with Steph putting up some historic numbers in his own right in these finals. Probably one of the only players in history to do so and not win the MVP because of what Durant did. Did this really put all doubt aside as well that he was truly banged up last year and this is what he's capable of when he's healthy and when he's playing at the top of his game? No doubt about it. Steph Curry is one of the best players in the league. And I think people who say otherwise are ridiculous. Uh, I would put him above Kyrie Irving still. I think that he's a better playmaker. I think his defense has improved. I think that he's become an excellent, unselfish player. And I think this team, I think this team historically is the best that we've ever seen. I don't think there's any question in my mind about it. I think it's the best three-year run of any team that we've ever seen. 
Uh, whether or not they lost in the finals, I don't care. I, I think that they play the right way. I think they are the most unselfish team that we've ever seen in history. They just share the ball better than anyone else. And I think that that goes down to, obviously, Steve Kerr, as well as the players. These players are built with the mindset of winning first and getting their second. And I think that that was illustrated, obviously, with Clay Thompson's quote-unquote poor performances, yet he was just doing everything he could on the defensive end of the floor. And I think that's what helped his team win. I think, ultimately, players taking a backseat and figuring out a way to work with each other. I mean, let's, let's be honest. If you're in a brand-new job and you're working with Joe Schmoe and you're just getting used to him, the relationship uh, and what that means at the beginning is not the same as what it is six months from then on. And I think that you've got to create this this bond. And, and naturally, I think if you're coming into a new role, your coworkers, your employees, whatever, are going to take a little bit of a backseat and help you get there, or you would hope that. And I think that's what we saw with the Warriors. I think early on, people were sitting there questioning, oh, Steph Curry's taking less shots, Steph Curry's not doing this, or Clay Thompson isn't getting the shots that he deserves, blah, 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 blah. It, it changed immensely after six months. I mean, this, this narrative now is this, this team is the greatest of all time, and I think it should be that way. I know you are a big fan of Draymond Green, and people said similar things about him as they did with Clay that he's not putting up these gaudy numbers and he's not doing anything in the finals. But if you do look at him specifically throughout the series, you can see that he had a major impact on how things went. And even though he didn't necessarily blow anyone away with box score in the finals, how much of an impact do you think he ended up having on the series for the Warriors? He has a huge impact in every game that he plays for the Warriors. I think it's ridiculous and outrageous that people think otherwise. Uh, it doesn't matter. His statistics don't, it does not matter one bit. He is the emotional engine of this team. He's the coach. Uh, and I think what was said best, I, I did a piece on him just a couple of days ago, and Travis Walton, his former MSU teammate uh, and now his trainer, uh, said, look, Draymond was brought up in the Izzo system. And when you look at what Coach Izzo says and what he really trains his players to do, is he, he always says, and this is a quote that's been mentioned multiple times, but a player-coach team is better than a coach-coach team. And Draymond is that player-coach on the sidelines, whether he's in the game or not. He's making the impact emotionally. He's getting on players' backs. And he's not doing it in the sense that's negative. I think people read into that completely wrong. I mean, you look at the Kevin Durant, uh, Kevin Durant and Draymond Green kind of argument that they had six months ago or so, and it was blown out of proportion in the sense of, oh, well, Draymond Green is yelling at Kevin Durant. Look at this, and there's animosity between the two. It wasn't that. It's, the players have so much respect for each other, and they have a trustworthy, honest approach to each other that they can do that at any time. I mean, they understand and respect each other that well that they're okay with yelling at each other. I mean, that, that's, that's what good relationships are. You are brutally honest with each other. And that was a brutally honest moment for them. So for me, Draymond Green may not show up in the stats. He may not show up in the box score. He may not even have had his best five games. But I think you can tell his work ethic, his mentality, and the leadership that he brings to this team is unlike anything we've ever seen out of a second-round player. 
You mentioned LeBron James, and I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into the discussion that everyone always has whenever he plays in the finals, and that's what his legacy is now and what he did in said finals, averaging a triple-double in five games, having numbers that people still have never seen and don't really seem to appreciate, unfortunately for him. He really did seem to do all he was able to do to win these finals. Game three was a little disappointing. I will admit that when they didn't necessarily do what they needed to do to close it out. But overall, much can't be said about what he was able to accomplish with the cast that he had around him in not getting much help. What do you think this means now for him? Should people focus more on what he was able to do in the series as a whole, how great he played, or should people once again put the attention on, well, he's now 3-5 and five in the finals? Stop with the comparisons. Stop with the MJ. Stop with the, you know, the Magic or Michael, really. I, I do compare him more to Magic than I do Michael as a player, but that doesn't mean I want to compare them historically. I think LeBron is LeBron. We need to separate all the eras out. I think we just need to, to realize what we're watching is absolute greatness. I think he's one of the best players to ever play, if not the best player. And as far as three and five and a record and this or that or the other thing, he's been to demonstrate finals. Quite frankly, I don't think there's any other player that could vault their team to that sort of success over a significant period of time. And I just think that he needs to be given more respect than what he's been given. He averaged a triple-double in the finals, like you mentioned. He's been extremely efficient for this team. He's the one who's driving this team to finals after finals after finals. And I think off the court, we need to realize and respect how great he has been with the media. Um, just in the way that the game is covered, I think he's open and honest about basically everything and people bash him for it. Uh, I think this is just one of the best areas of basketball that we've seen, even though it may not be as competitive because the two best teams are so far ahead of the rest. Is this another example of his supporting cast maybe not helping him out as well as they should have? We saw some great performances, as always. Kyrie Irving did take over some games Kevin Love did okay sometimes, but he didn't have that game where he was one of the main stories, which I think they needed to have happen in order to come close to winning the series. But the overall supporting cast, aside from what they call the big three in Kyle Korver, JR, Iman Shumpert, Tristan Thompson not showing up until maybe game four, it was just a shame to see that he needed those guys to really have very impressive performances and they weren't all able to do it either at all or all do it collectively. What do you think they might do now as far as the future goes, whether they hold on to what they have now, maybe try to bring in another piece or maybe go back to the drawing board and say, this was one of the biggest stages and I need you guys to come through as in LeBron saying that, because I'm sure he's going to have a say. Yeah. I mean, I think they need another piece to really challenge or contest, even with the bench and everybody else playing as well as they possibly can. I think they do need another piece. It's a matter of finding cap room to do that. And I think they'll have some success. LeBron, whether it's LeBron's decision, the GM's decision, the owner's decision, however it actually falls, uh, I think there were some costly mistakes. I think that J.R. Smith clearly isn't necessarily a you know 57 or whatever billion dollar player 
over three or four years. I think Tristan Thompson isn't necessarily a max player. I don't think you could say that about him. I think he's more of a ancillary fourth or fifth option where you pay him maybe 15 a year or so. Um, but, you know, within this cap, obviously you had to give him what he, you had to give him in order for him to stay. And that's kind of the rules and regulations of, of the NBA and, and what it is now. But I do think they've hurt themselves in that sort of scenario. I think trading for Kyle Corbin wasn't exactly the greatest thing of all time. I don't think that really helped this team out as much as people thought it would. And I think they do need to go back to the drawing board and figure out how they can manipulate the cap to, to find some room to get another piece. And when I mean a piece, I mean a real piece. I mean, they have to find someone. I, I, I look at Carmelo Anthony as an option. I think, um, you know, around the league, there's other free agents that you can look at and say, yes, this is a guy that we could bring in on a lower level contract or someone who would take a pay cut in order to play with us. Um, but they need to find something because this, this Warriors team isn't going anywhere. And I think that this Warriors team is going to be good for the next three or four seasons at bare minimum. I don't see any of these players leaving. I think they love it where they're playing. I think it's very clear and evident that they're unselfish and they don't care about the money or anything else at this point. They care about making a legacy and making, making a run at a title every single year. So, this is a very dangerous, dangerous time in the NBA because we could see the Golden State Warriors win the next three or four titles if LeBron and company don't do something about it. Where do you see that trend going? Will it be more toward superstar or close to superstar players deciding that they might want to either team up with LeBron or maybe even try to go to San Antonio to combat the Warriors there? Or might we see teams or players except where we are, maybe just try to build something slowly over a three to four to five year period time, wait for the dust to settle from the LeBron James era and this now Golden State, what's quickly becoming a dynasty, and just go from there. Is, is there a sense of where we might be headed when it comes to the NBA? Well, there's going to be an asterisk uh, um, among, I think, historians when this is all said and done, basketball historians. Uh, if the Warriors go on to make another three or four NBA finals and win a few more championships as well in, in the making, if not more. Uh, I, I think that all the other players are going to be uh, given a little bit more credit, even though they may not win a championship or get a ring because of that. So I, I'm not really necessarily sure that we're going to see. I, I think I think we will see more super teams. I think that's a guarantee just based on the way that the players have been talking as of late. I mean, you look at guys like Damian Lillard saying, my goal isn't necessarily to win a championship, but it, it, this is not verbatim or word for word, but uh, it, it's something along the lines of, you know, I'm not necessarily going for a championship. I want to be Golden State. So guys are gunning for these teams, and I think that they're going to realize that they need a team up in order to beat them. I think LeBron, obviously, and his team in Cleveland is going to be a viable option. I think Boston is going to be a valuable option because of the cap space they have, the number one pick, all the assets that they carry, and obviously a coach like Brad Stevens. I think that's a realistic option. And I do think San Antonio is a realistic option. They have Kawhi Leonard, they have the Marcus Aldridge, two very good high-caliber high players. And if they can find a way to kind of renegotiate Paul's deal or a couple of other deals and get a little bit more cap room to sign a guy like Chris Paul, you know, you know, otherwise, and you put insert player here, but 
Um, I, I think that they could be a viable option as well. So, yes, I do think there's going to be more super teams. I do think it could be top-heavy for the league. But do I think it's going to be great for the league? Yeah, it sure as hell is going to be very entertaining. When it comes to the Warriors, they'll be celebrating the rest of the week. I don't know if Kevin Durant will continue to spit out Bud Light because he apparently isn't really used to beer. Looking at this team briefly, people are throwing around that this might be the best team ever or is just from what they've been able to do so far and in this season in particular. Is it still a little bit too early to say that they are the best of everything, but also admit that we're getting closer and closer to that, especially if this core stays together? No, I think it is the best. I mean, depending on how you want to process it, if it's like the best seven-year run, then yeah, obviously Golden State doesn't have that. So, uh, But if we're talking about just best teams overall historically, I think they are the, the best team. I don't think it's any question. Um, yeah, we can look back and look at Michael Jordan's goals. Yeah, we can look back and look at the Lakers. Yeah, we can look back and go to the Celtics. But I think, honestly, this is the best combination of players on selfishness the way they play, it's just, it's, it's, it's lethal. It is a lethal combination of players. And the coach is arguably one of the best in the league as well. I mean, it's just, it's an assimilation of the best players at the best time in the prime of their careers. I mean, it's, it's wonderful to watch. I, I'm one of these people that I don't, I don't care if they sweep every single series for the rest of the next three or four years. I think we're watching greatness and we need to value how entertaining and how valuable this this brand of basketball is. Your latest story, hot off the pressures, the story behind the big three and how Ice Cube plans on changing basketball forever documents how this big three came to be with Kobe Bryant's 60-point final game serving as an inspiration of sorts for Ice Cube deciding that this is what they wanted to do and how to make something like a three-on-three league happen. Could you describe some of the things that you were able to document in that story and how this league really came to be? Yeah, so Cube went into pretty good detail. Jeff Quadnitz, the other co-founder, who's kind of his like best friend, kind of partner, business partner, uh, they have a very, very open relationship and, and kind of documented for me how how this came to be. Jeff basically said they'd been working on this for years and it wasn't something that just like came out from nowhere. Um, but at the same time, the instigator or the real thing that pushed them over the top was Ice Cube going to Kobe's final game. Uh, final game, obviously, where he scored 60 points. And Cube was there. He saw it. He witnessed it. He was on the Jumbotron. And he, I mean, he told me, look, I just couldn't believe that a guy who scored 60 points Actually, I think, quote-unquote, quote ain't no way a guy who's scoring 60 points is going to retire. That just doesn't, uh, why? Why would you, you know? And then he, he told me, look, I mean, it's wear and tear. It's very simple. The guy was injured, you know, the past two or three seasons, uh, carried a lot of weight on his shoulders, and just couldn't deal with it. And so that's when Cube really came to be on the idea of having a three-on-three professional league and putting it together, putting it on paper, putting the idea together. And I think, uh, yeah, they've, they've done a very good job. This is something that wasn't just, like I said, I mean, a lot of people thought, oh, it's overnight, you know, he's going to put this celebrity basketball league out, going to be fine, you know, retired players, whatever. No, this is competitive. They've had a, a draft combine. They've built up players that are in shape, that have been doing two days, that have been working out, preparing for comebacks of their own. 
and they've put together a very good crop of players, um, players that have cult followings, players that have, you know, that are idols to a lot of people like myself. Uh, you talk about Alan Iverson, you talk about Chauncey Phillips, these guys won rings or got there, did that, or MVPs of the league, whatever the case may be. Um, they're still very good players. And I think in a three-on-three, and what, what's great and what, what you know, you kind of demonstrated and documented was, look, everybody thinks that their the level of play is going to drop. These guys can still shoot basketballs. These guys can still assist and pass. And if you put them in a three-on-three game, you're not really seeing the fitness level. I mean, you, you, obviously anybody, you know, can play three-on-three basketball. It doesn't have to be a professional player. But these players have ultra talent, and it's still there. It's just that they cannot go right up and down the court for 82 games playing back-to-back. So I think they've really done a very good job at thinking this out. And obviously you've seen the Olympics adopt it. Uh, now that they have their three-on-three basketball deal, going into 2018. So I think that this is all very good um, for basketball. And I think in the summertime, this is going to be a huge set. What are you most looking forward to overall for the big three, whether that comes from the competition itself, the players themselves, what's going to be what you're most excited about as we get closer and closer to this? I think it's the nostalgia. I mean, really, look, all these players we grew up watching or grew up idolizing. I mean, look, I, I, Honestly, I used this term all the time, but in like fourth or fifth grade, I can't even remember. It's maybe third grade. I don't even know. I, when I was in grade school, let's put it that way, I, uh, I wore the ace bandages that AI was wearing because I wanted to be like AI. I didn't have an injury. I didn't have anything like that, but like I wanted to be like Alan Iverson. So these players that we've grown up just loving and adoring and like uh, getting just, you know, like I said, nostalgic about I think that's where. I'm most excited. I'm excited to see the trash talk. I'm excited to see these players get on a court and play again. I mean, a lot of us haven't seen these guys play for two or three seasons, but behind the scenes, they've been working out. They've been preparing. This is something that's well-documented. and I think it's just going to be a huge hit in that way. Have you heard anything about what they hope the future of this becomes? I guess based on what the success of it is in its infancy stages here and in its first season, but is the main goal to maybe expand this either to more cities, to more games, to get more former players in? How are they hoping to see this evolve over time? Yeah, I think Ice Cube pretty much told me that, you know, if this goes as planned, expect to see more cities, expect to see more players. Um, There's a lot of retired players that are looking at this and seeing how well it does. And if it does well, then you're going to see all these other guys jump in. Baron Davis, Stephon Marbury, uh, go through the list. I mean, those sort of players are going to be looking at this. There's no doubt about it. Now, maybe not those players in particular, but those like-minded players, those are guys that will be interested in this league. Look, Rip Hamilton. I mean, you can go down the list of guys. Paul Pierce, um, Kevin Garnett, guys like that. I mean, I would not be shocked one bit to see those guys in this league two or three seasons from now, if not just a season from now, based on the success of this league. And I think it's undoubtedly going to be successful. I think they've built a very, very good market for it. I think they've got a good market share because really there's nothing going on in the summer. And then when you look at the ticket prices, along with what Richard Lewis is doing, which is basically giving every kid a chance to go in for free, uh, it's just a win-win situation all in. So I'm 
who I would be very, very shocked if this doesn't end up as one of the most successful basketball ventures that we've seen. A two-parter here. If you are forming your own big three team, who would be on it current players and who would be on it for any player from all time? Uh, current players, I think I'd have to go LeBron and Curry. Uh, LeBron, Curry, and Kevin Durant, probably. I mean, the three guys that we just saw in the finals. Uh, I think you need a shooter that can hit those four-point shots like free throws. Um, I think you need a guy that's versatile, long, big, can grab those rebounds like LeBron James. And I think a Kevin Durant who can hit from outside of in is just a completely versatile team. For going with history, I think Shaquille O'Neal. Give me Shaquille O'Neal. Give me probably Allen Iverson because of the moves and crossovers. And it's a lot of isolation, obviously, with three-on-three. So give me Allen Iverson, give me Shaquille O'Neal, and I'd probably say LeBron James or Kevin Durant. One of those two would have to be in there, uh, just based on the length, the size, and the shooting ability. So those would be the teams that I would construct if if, if it were me. We could even have that in the big three in general. Shaq's been working out like crazy. We've been seeing that. Maybe he's looking to come into this maybe next year. Maybe Kobe could come join him. We could have an NBA hang time-esque teams come into this league where a big three of Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Rondo, since they don't like Ray Allen, Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, Derek Fisher, if he's not in trouble. I mean, there's potential to bring back teams that we grew up watching the main three from those teams if they really wanted to yeah. i agree and think that this is something that could really take off yeah exactly i mean you, you you made a really good point i mean that would add to everybody's nostalgia i mean can you imagine shaquille o'neal kobe bryant and Derek fisher or shaquille o'neal kobe bryant insert x player here like i honestly lakers fans that that would sell out the arena no doubt about it that would that would bring so much to this league. And I think that obviously they've got enough names and enough players to do that. I think the coaching staff is incredible. I mean, you had Clyde Drexler, Dr. J, Rick Berry, Gary Payton. I mean, they, they've got a list of just supreme superstar legacy kind of talents. And I, I think that that would just grow obviously with this, this league's success. We could even have the Black Mamba and Kobe, the White Mamba and Brian Scalabrini and get the Red Mamba Ooh. out of retirement, the Red Rocket and Mac Bonner and have him come play too. So, hey, the possibilities are endless. And I think they did great in having Ice Cube be a vocal point of this because of his influences of being around the Staples Center being involved in the community when it comes to the NBA. So I'm excited for it. I was also excited to see maybe a week and a half ago to a week when you announced that you and Josh Eberly of NBA.com Hoops Mag is now going to have this big three show podcast that actually debuted just a couple of days ago. And I wanted to get an idea of how you guys were picked to get involved with this and what you're planning to do with this show. Yeah, so I've been an early adopter of the Big Three, uh, and they hit me up real early in the game about doing stories and features and whatnot, and I was totally bought in. I mean, I I was bought in before they did that, and I think that's why they probably uh, hit me up and, and, and we chatted back and forth and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I, was, I actually had an idea, and I, I threw it by Jeff, the co-founder. I threw it by Ice Cube. I threw it by a couple of different people, and I was just like, man, I... I think a, a 
like a show, a podcast with featuring players every week and giving people an opportunity to really dive into this deeper. I think it's a really good idea. I think this could really be a big hit. And obviously the off season, there's nothing really to talk about. I, I think this could be a big hit and they bought into it. They're like, yeah, let's, let's do it. And then uh, immediately, I mean, basically one of my, Good friends. Uh, I consider one of my better friends as far as journalist journalism goes, Josh Evely. And uh, we had a discussion back and forth. I said, "Hey, look, I've been reached out to by this. I'd like to get a co-host. Would you be interested?" And yeah, and that's how it all spurred and started. And then from there, um, we got our first episode out with Ricky Davis. Uh, second episode uh, basically will be Friday. Guest to be announced, although we're about ninety percent sure at this point it's going to be Bonzi Wells. So uh, that should be the next area of opportunity. And I think that that's going to be, obviously, it's something that we envision as unique, as different. Uh, And I I really love just diving into players' careers and outside of playing. You know, like Ruby Davis is talking about cooking and how people call him Chef Boy RD. Uh, And that was... That, that was the moment for me in the podcast where I was like, man, this could really be great. Because I, I, I like talking to players about just everything, not just about playing basketball. And so I think the, the show will, will be a hit. I think people will like it. And, well, hopefully they'll like it. And hopefully it'll continue on throughout this season and hopefully next season as well. You mentioned Ricky Davis being the first guest and people might remember him as trying to create his own triple-double when he was just a rebound shy, throwing it off his own basket to get the stat that way. Unfortunately, it didn't work out for him. You asked him about a slew of different topics throughout the interview, and I can attach that to my show notes as well for folks. What was your favorite part and favorite discussion that you were able to have with him to start off these shows? Uh, I think the best discussion that we had, I, I actually like this Steve Nash portion i mean he jammed on he just mashed on steve nash i mean like he had one of the best dunks i've seen over steve nash and tnt actually did a whole little feature on it in one of their games like way back in the day and steve nash was like if it was ever to happen again it wouldn't happen like i, I wouldn't let that happen no way and then so Ricky davis obviously I, I asked him about it and he's like yeah i mean i was dribbling on the court and I, he just kept backing up he just kept backing up he just uh, I, and then I was like, all right, I'm just going to jump over him. And uh, so it was just like, it, the answer is just hilarious. And I, I'm like, walk me through, like, do you feel bad about it? Do you look nasty? Like, you know, whatever. And he's like, yeah, once, once I saw the replays, it looked pretty bad. Like, kind of felt bad for him. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was that, that sort of stuff, like I said, it's like reliving some of those moments that we all saw and remembered. And, um, yeah, that was, that was my favorite part of the, the interview. I think the Kevin Garnett answer was pretty sweet too. Josh asked a question about uh, who the, the the player that he played, the player that had the best work ethic that he played with over his career. He played with some of the greatest, like I mean Kevin Garnett, Shaq, Obi, et cetera, uh, LeBron. I mean he played with some of the best players of all time. And um, he said Kevin Garnett, and he just spoke about like how that helped him throughout his career. And, um, things like that. I, I think those were two questions that really stuck out. Well, we could feel a lot better for Steve Nash because I think, as we both mentioned on Twitter, he's going to get an NBA Finals ring finally since he's been helping the Golden State Warriors out as a coach. So good for Steve. I'm sure if people told him after that dunk that he'd eventually get a ring, 
he'd probably say that it was perfectly fine for Ricky Davis to do that. But it was a great interview, and it's very exciting to see who you guys have on because of the backstories of some of the guys within this league. There's obviously the big names like Allen Iverson down the list, but there's also the guys that were journeymen in the NBA, played overseas, maybe had their careers come to an end that they didn't think would end up being what their legacy would be when they first started playing. So I know there's a lot of great things you guys will be able to get into. What are the different platforms that people will be able to find this show when it comes out on Friday mornings, 7 a.m. Eastern time and 4 a.m. for you Pacific guys? So I don't know if you're going to have to stay up to like see it really hit the airwaves or what you're going to have to do. Yeah, I, I scheduled a post, so I don't have to deal with that. But uh, yeah, it's on it's on iTunes, it's on Stitcher, it's on SoundCloud, it's on Google Play. It is now on all these platforms. The first week we had to make sure the episode was good, and then submit them all to all the different places. That's all done. So Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, Google Play. Um, you can find it all there. It's under the Big Three Show, so it should be pretty simple to find. Uh, the first episode is up on all those platforms, and uh, like I said, like you said, should be up on Friday morning, 4 a.m. Pacific time or 7 a.m. Eastern. And uh, yeah, like I said, looking forward to a great season. Hopefully, we can do a couple of live shows at the event. I think that's kind of the plan is to, to potentially do a couple of live ones as well. So, um, and and in in the future, we're hoping to get more than just players. Hopefully, some coaches as well. Uh, I know Michael Rappaport has expressed interest in hopping on with us as well. So hopefully we'll have some good guests coming as well. Very excited for you guys to have an opportunity like this and to be able to chat about it with me here as well as the NBA Finals. So thanks again, Oliver, for coming on and sharing some of your thoughts. Looking forward to see what you guys have in store with what's going on with the Big Three. And as always, enjoy talking about what we've seen in the NBA Finals. Continued success to you guys. And I'm sure we'll be able to talk again down the road about some of the other interviews you'll be able to have with them as well. No doubt. Thanks a lot for having me on. I really appreciate it. and. Uh... Look forward to hopping on again soon. It's going to do it for The Bridge. You can listen to this show and all previous shows over on my website at londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle, at London Bridge. You can find The Bridge on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast. There you'll find the newest episodes of The Bridge every Friday. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. You can also find The Bridge on Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and live on the TuneIn app by searching Sports Radio America every Wednesday night. In the next installment of The Bridge, we'll chat about the NBA, dive into some more baseball, circle the wagons of the NFL, and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve. On The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports.